Reading Room, a literary podcast devoted to the works of Appendix A. Here we open the library doors of the Sanctum Socorro to you. Welcome to the Sanctum Sacorum Reading Room. Whether you are new to the literary world of Appendix N, a diehard fan of the genre, or even just tuning in to see how certain titles tie into a particular set of role-playing games, uh, we invite you to join us as we dive into the history and influence of Appendix N. We'd like to open our library to you and inspire readers to explore these new worlds. I am Keeper Bob, and with me tonight, my partner in crime, Keeper Jan. Hello. How are you doing tonight, Jan? <sighs> Almost upright, bubbly, awake. Yeah. Insert adjective here. We will go with insert adjective here. Tonight, we're going to kick off an exploration of the women of Appendix N, and we're starting off with Andre Norton. Born in 1912 as Alice Marie Norton, she changed her name to Andre Alice Norton, wrote as Andrew North and Alan Weston. She was the first woman to be a Gandalf Grandmaster of Fantasy, the first woman to be a Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America Grandmaster. She was the first woman to be inducted into the Science Fiction and Fantasy Hall of Fame, and just a giant, considered the grand dame of science fiction and fantasy. So we are going to kick off this exploration with what I think is probably one of the most important works in all of Appendix N, Quag Keep. Why don't you tell us about it, Jim? Oh, Quag Keep. Um, you know, I kind of want a sidebar here. Sidebar. Uh, you know, it, it's our adventure module layout, right? Get the little sidebar box. Sure. Um, I, personally, I really wanted to start out the season with an overview of all of the women of Appendix N possibly even bringing in, oh, I don't know, someone from the Order of Shanna to talk about it. But as is common in most areas of history, there are startlingly few women singled out on this list. Three. That's it. Now, perhaps that's due to their writing being framed or presented so similarly, or simply due to their lack of exposure, whether on the part of the authors or the readers, quite frankly. Um, I see so many women's names on the spine of Daw collections, which is cool, as well as Fantasy and Sci-Fi magazine. But sadly, most of those also use non-diplomes to be able to be taken more seriously, you know, including Andre Norton herself. So, uh, yeah, with that, um, Trust me, we'll we'll get to the others throughout this series. We'll do Lee Brackett, Margaret St. Clair, Idris Seabright. Well, the last two are the same. Andre uh, Norton wrote 300 books. I mean, I know. you know, she kind of qualifies. We could do a series on Andre Norton. <laughs> but that that's kind of the thing. I don't want it to... She got all of the notice, Right? There's only two other women on this list. Lee Brackett got and a lot of books. When you've got uh, contemporaries like Barbara Hambly, Ursula Le Guin, Marion Zimmer Blidely, Tanith Lee, CJ Chera, and Zena Henderson, you know, as well as their predecessors, Judith Merrill, um, I really want to mention Gertrude Barrows Bennett, who is the creator of Dark Fantasy. Um, most would add Mary Shelley, the mother of science fiction. And I am super stoked to dig in further to Lady Margaret Cavendish, uh, who's the blazing world in 1666. And has her noted as the very first female author or possibly author of science fiction. I don't care how good the used bookstore is. That one's going to be expensive. Reprints for like 16 bucks in paperback. Oh <laughs> Amazon. I'm, I'm not proud. As long as you okay. don't expect to sign first, we're good. Eek. I can't even imagine, especially since she was royalty. 
So I, I suppose royalty would dovetail back into Quag Keep, perhaps. I'm horrible at segues. All right, Bob wanted to know about Quag Keep. You guys probably do too. I'm curious as to how many people uh, viewing this currently have actually read the book. We've all heard about it, right? So in 1976, Andre Norton was invited to play a new sort of adventure game by its creator. It was Dungeons and Dragons, the game that launched the role-playing game industry. E. Gary Gygax played the game with Andre one-on-one, introducing her to his world of Greyhawk, where she took part in an imaginative session of world-building, role-playing, and fantasy adventuring, after which she returned home and wrote the novel Quag Keep, which was released two years later. It's a tale of seven adventurers from our world who journey to the city of Greyhawk from our world in order to aid a wizard and unlock the secrets of the stronghold of Quag Keep. Or alternatively from the Library of Congress catalog, seven strangers, each wearing a similar bracelet, meet and become pawns in the continuing struggle between the forces of good and evil, which pretty much sums up every D&D adventure. (laughs) That's fair. Quiet Keep uh, was, there was an excerpt of Quiet Keep was published in Dragon Magazine number 12, way back when, made Andre Norton the third member of Appendix N to appear in Dragon Magazine. And the book was actually carried at the Dungeon Hobby Shop when it was released. (laughs) Okay, that's a nice synergy there. I like that. Yeah. Um, You know, it. It, it's so it's so tough to really talk about this one because in some ways it's like it's uh, it's like when the John Carter film came out and and all the young folks were like well it's ripping off from this it's ripping off from this but it was the original right <laughs> this is this is the first book that has you know anything D and D or gaming not only does it mention Greyhawk but it mentions you know the Kingdom of Blackmore right? it's also the first in what is now a subgenre of gamers get dragged into fantasy realm. I mean, that's its own thing. And it starts right here with Quag Keep, which makes it, makes it really kind of fun. It's, it's definitely written from the OD and D perspective, right? Cause we have fighting men. Yes. Things of that nature. Yes. Very much so. And while it is written from that perspective, I would say there's a lot of liberties. So if you're if you're not familiar with the OD&D, don't worry about it, because even after playing a session, Andre Norton wasn't either. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> I mean, I, I was really tickled at the fact that, yep, they meet at a tavern. I, it, it's almost to the point where you could call it from the outside, you could call it derivative or unoriginal based on the subject matter, but they, I'd say overall it was enjoyable, but it was really, really meta. <laughs> well, and, and the thing yeah. is, I mean, it, it starts, you know, the first page starts in the real world. I think we're in the real world for like a page and a half with, with gamers talking about being top-ranked gamers from having won tournaments at the latest convention. And you know, the, the game is getting ready to start. There's these new oversized minis from a new company. And then all of a sudden, we're in the Greyhawk of Gary Gygax, which is definitely shows the, the influence of Libra's Lankmark. It, right off the bat, you know, yeah. Norton's Greyhawk based on Gary's Greyhawk is definitely based on Liber's Lankmore. And, <laughs> and so we get kind of thrown into this. The players don't know, the characters don't know they're the players. They have these fleeting moments of, of clarity here and there. But what I love is the way that they are able to set, to determine who is kind of important to their quest and who's not, right? Who's a player character and who's an NPC is all the player characters have bracelets with four dice on them, a D3, a D4, a D8, and a D6 that spin and light up and they can mentally kind of control the outcome of a little bit. Yeah, they learn Although, to concentrate on it. Yeah, yeah, they never really, while, while they concentrate on things, they never really tell you how it may 
impact the outcomes they're hoping for. So it doesn't, it doesn't grind into the mechanics, but it's kind of a fun little visual of, Oh, I think we're about to go into combat. Why? Well, my, my, my dice here are warm and they're starting to rattle. Like, Oh, look, they're getting ready to roll for initiative. Um, (laughs) Pretty much. Uh, There was one notable moment where the primary character uh, fails a save and the dice start to move and then they're, they're dark and quiet. And uh, he he gets, uh, I don't know, bewitched? Feels a will save anyway. Um, but, you know, I will say I really appreciated the fact that we focused on one character instead of having to go through the point of view of every single person in the party. That was actually a refreshing change compared to some of the things I've read recently. That's true. So, so we focused primarily on um, Milo Jagan, the lawful swordsman. Um, who is who is Martin Jefferson in the real world? Um, and then there was uh, Nail Fangtooth, the Werebore Berserker. Nothing says old school D anD D like Werebore Berserker. Um, who had who had a uh, who had a pseudo dragon? There was mm-hmm. like Ingrigi, a name that needed more vowels. Was yeah, I thought elf. elves used a lot of vowels. I was really right, like Florid that. and stuff. Uh, that was the elven archer and beastmaster. He talked all of the animals, uh, in, in, including the pseudo dragon and trees and anything that had ever once been living. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe even not. There was Yavel, the sword maiden, um, Div Dean, who was the third rank follower of Landrin of the Inner Light, which was a stuffy way of saying he was a third level cleric. Well, now you you glossed over our valkyrie a little too much she she was not just a battle maid uh she was oh she was written like she was written like a normal character she was the battle maiden she was also a swordswoman she was described as an amazon and a valkyrie and a spellcaster so i forgot about the spellcasting things all in one Wait, Uh, wasn't the spellcast? I don't think she was actually the spellcaster. We can cover that in a minute, though. Well, that was a a big scene. She paralyzed those two. She didn't. The moon magic was the illusion. We'll get there. No, 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 no. But the first encounter that they had with the druid in the back there, there were the two, and, and all of a sudden she cast, and they were paralyzed. But you know, Swordswoman. I want to point out Swordswoman, Battlemaid, Valkyrie, they're all essentially the same thing. Andre Norton does not give her description a lot of depth, but she also doesn't put her in a chainmail bikini, right? I mean, she puts her in real armor and treats her like a real character, which. which (laughs) Yes, she's in full plate. Uh, There's there's Weimark the Bard, who kind of reminded me a little bit of Fluter Flynn from uh, Prydain. And there was my favorite character, to me, the standout, even though he was mostly absent, Golf, the Lizard Man. <laughs> I mean, I, I've not seen a character's flaws written so uh, fluidly and lovingly. As you know, for a, for a book that came out long before the, uh, the outdoor survival book for uh, the outdoor the yeah the outdoor survival guide for for mm-hmm. D. boy they hammer golf you know okay we're gonna take this lizard man who lives in a swamp and needs humidity and heat and first we're gonna put him in an arctic setting so he's near dead from cold and he's you know, the water on him is freezing and then we're gonna put him in a desert where he dehydrates mm-hmm. golf does not get a lot of uh, face time in in the book and when we finally a lot get of to, people helping golf along. Yeah, yeah, there are. When we finally get to a scene where he can thrive and do his thing, it's glossed over so quickly. And yes, but then we I, find he has magic frog summoning powers, <laughs> or frog and turtle summoning powers. So okay, so 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 we have we have our seven characters who essentially. <laughs> Well, they all don't meet in a tavern. A few of them meet in a tavern, and then they are drawn to the wizard. And uh, the wizard lays a, a gesh upon them, 
and they need to go to to Quag Keep and, and determine what is is going on there. And to do so, they must first go and talk to a gold dragon, because all low level adventurers should go mucking around with dragons. I got nothing. <laughs> I was pretty stunned by that. I'm like, yeah, somebody, you know, somebody hates you. They sent you to see a dragon first thing. Nice and man. and that is that is one of two dragons in the book. Now the first the first dragon, the gold dragon, yeah. is is pleasant and is nice, even though a bit impatient with them. Uh, it kind of tells them you need to go <laughs> here. The second dragon, on the other hand, the copper dragon, which most people go, oh, metallic dragon. I play D and D. That's a that's a good dragon. No, no, we're dealing with yeah. with law, chaos, and neutrality here. And uh, the, the and copper it was dragon so tries to corrupted cope. and and so just almost engorged by or with its own corruption that it had these little tiny comically small wings trying to lift this big old fat thing up off the ground and all it did was stir up the sand it was really entertaining but it was also kind of creepy in that its breath weapon was this gaseous cloud that would strip a man to his bones in the span of five breaths oh man that must have been okay that must have been in the early part i'd forgotten about that yeah so i but, but the whole but, thing and then we have the the pseudo dragon though that that's kind of a dragon right oh most most definitely most definitely and it was described as fitting in the palm of your hand that and, was, and uh, sometimes bizarre. nail would wear it around his neck right and it would just look like a a small like leathering stole until the eyes opened and that everybody seems to think in modern role playing that the pseudo dragon is you know cat dog sized or something no i absolutely adore the idea of something that is so small that a heavy wind could take it away <laughs> uh, okay. and despite being tiny it's fierce mm-hmm. now the the novel itself sort of plays out like well, it, it sort of plays out like a session of D&D, except all of the travel portion is is uh, played. There, there is there is no, okay, and then you traveled 50 miles. No, no, we're going to travel those 50 miles, and we're going to play it out. You don't have horses yet? Well, we better start with a, with a nice round of shopping so you can buy a bunch of horses. And we're going to, we're strategizing our plan here. We're going to spend a day making plans for all of this. And it was just as interminable and frustrating as it is at the table, guys. I don't, I, I can't. <laughs> yes. So, so what I'm saying is, to me, the the beginning of the book through the middle of the book were oh, slow. kind of <laughs> slow. Um, the the pace the pacing was the pacing was methodical. I'll go with methodical. Um, but but when things saying. happen. They happen, right? They, they, as they're traveling through the sea of dust and they unearth the sunken ship that has been there for who knows how long and they're attacked by the undead within. And the undead there were scarier than any I've ever seen in a game. The, that was, I, now I say this as a member of the first dead party that Bob ran for what nine years before we got canceled. <laughs> never gonna brag that you've got a hit point left, are you? What? You're never again gonna brag that you still got one hit point left, are you? Uh, <clears throat> certain gestures that aren't polite like <laughs> the uh, <laughs> uh, we have actually one of our players watching us in the Twitch stream here. Hi Dennis. Um, yes, you'll you'll recognize a lot of these things. Uh, the desert will feel exactly like where we left off in Bob's game. And uh, the undead are like nothing he has ever thrown at us before. And I hoped all the gods that he never does. Well, those and, were and, and so, I mean, for, for perspective, while Andre Norton referred to them as liches, they certainly were not what, what a D&D player would, would assume when they hear lich. Um, they were skeletal yeah. figures, but they were fully animate. So you knock their head off and it would roll over and start biting you. And they were also fully armored. Yes. 
so there wasn't any of the comical pitchfork through the rib cage. Um, yeah, that and that was, but that, but that was a great example though of when something happened. It really was going on. Even even golf got involved. Even <laughs> golf got involved, even though it was in a desert. Um, because I mean, he was needed at granted, the last minute. Yeah. Nail fang tooth. The the wear bore is pretty much used in any combat to say, oh, well, there's a, there's a whole lot of overwhelming force, so he's over there, and he is thinning that down to a whelming force. And, uh, and he certainly does so. But, but that combat was fantastic. The, the, the fight with the copper dragon was... And, and feels weird to say about a fantasy novel, but it felt uh, realistic. Right. It had that really realistic touch where he falls face first into the sand and blacks out. And we hear afterward the recounting of what happened. Yes. And and then using the blood of the dragon in the sand to to let that kind of harden and mold so they could help build a shelter for an upcoming dust storm was delightfully gruesome really I, I i have no complaints about that i love the idea of blood-soaked sand being used around the corpse <laughs> of a dragon as a shelter um i'm just sorry that i didn't think of it before i read quag keep because now i can't use that i know right i, I kind of want to make those into the next set of bricks to make a house out of um but there were some touches while the planning stages were awkward I really dug almost the video game quality of things like the swordsmith, ignoring the characters who have been told that they can't buy any other equipment in town. It was like all the NPCs just turned their backs off. It's like the creators of Bard's Tale had read this book. Yeah. Uh, exactly, exactly. But well, and even to the, the point ones- where when, when they're getting ready to gear up, and they're like, well, we need to go buy things. And they're they're concentrating on their dice bracelets and creating pouch. They're creating pouches of gold. They're creating their starting money. They roll up their starting money. That, that was entertaining. Uh, I really enjoyed how the party would go to lengths to retrieve Milo's sword based on the fact that one less sword in the next fight could mean their deaths. They may not care about this character, but they need this guy's sword, just like they did with the lizard man. You know, they made sure to keep him alive because who knows when they're going to need him. Well, uh, and, and Nail doesn't uh, want the lizard man <laughs> alive, right? So we have, that was so irritating because we, Go, well, a, a no, woman, wait, no, no, no. A woman who played a game with one player understood interparty conflict that well from having played in just a game by herself that she knew the players at the table, sometimes you get one that's just sort of a problem. Putting it nicely. <laughs> and it's going to be a fight. Besides that, um, anyone who's rolled up a character in First Ed has seen the table of racial... Uh, relations you know this race hates this race and that was played out to a t in this between Niall and pretty much everybody else um the 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 heavy archetypes and and there was a lot of alignment based correlation and in their interactions yeah it was law and chaos, and neither. Did yeah, really and law definitely felt that chaos was evil, and to the point where, yeah. like, people that that followed chaos developed a foul stench. Like, uh, seriously, chaos followers just smell bad naturally. I I would actually play devil's advocate on that one and say that to the chaotic, lawful people stink. Oh, most certainly, right? Everyone's a hero in their own story. Nobody's the villain of their own story. But our primary characters are either lawful or neutral, and they just complain about chaos. Even and even though even though lizard people are generally neutral, and it was like, well, you know, one killed a buddy of mine, and so I hate them all, and so we should just let him die. And 
while while I understood his motivation, <laughs> I had his, I understood his motivation the first time he told us, and the second time he told us, and the eighth time he told us, and oh God, it was the guy at the table that you just want to say, you know, um, we're moving the game. Um, what night? What nights are you free? Oh, you're not free Thursdays? I'm sorry, we're moving the game to Thursdays. It was just, oh my God, he was that guy. None of our viewers have dealt with that ever, I'm sure. No, I'm I'm certain. No one is, there's not a section in the Dungeon Master's Guide about dealing with problem players. No, not at all. No, this is a uh, wholly unthought of problem. (coughs) But... So the, so the story plays out fairly fairly straightforward. It's just methodical. I'm sticking with methodical. Methodical, and I will say there's a spoiler right off the bat on the second page. There's a new miniature company called QK Productions. Yes. And uh, just like it is, does, you know, Quag Keep, is, is Quag short for the quagmire that it's found in? Or is it uh, possibly is it short for quest under a gesh? You know, I mean, it's oh, we're going with gesh now instead of gaius. Okay, I you know, in in all deference <laughs> to uh, to uh, your spellbird Julian. co-host Julian, I did a random polling of four four Gaelic speaking Irish people. Actually, technically they speak Irish, but for the rest of the world it's Gaelic, and uh, they all agree that they would pronounce it gesh. So I'm. Uh, well, I will just say that that particular gesh, that doesn't even feel right. Uh, <laughs> that, that particular influence was one that would rival that of Shilba when you are sent out on a mission in Lankmar. Yes and no, right? I mean, it's one of those things where they're told, you, you, you must all work together and you have these bracelets. They never question it. You know, they never really kind of veer off from that. Um, we don't really, you know, it, it could have it could have been that wasn't really a wizard at all. It was just a guy who was really slick and had a decent charisma. Uh, you know, there's, there's no real magical forcing of their hand to join. Is that the one spoiler we're going to avoid who the wizard actually was? <laughs> yeah, you know, the book came out in 1978, so I, I, I think we, I, I, I think we can. Uh, we don't need to worry about spoilers too terribly much. Maybe, maybe we don't give away the last two pages other than when the book ends, it ends, right? Um, it, well, it was that abrupt. Oh, wow. It was like a full stop at a page and a half. But that's how Andrea Norton does things. She, she's like, okay, um, the story's done, so end. And, and to be fair, this, this certainly set up a, a sequel. And there was a sequel. There was Return to Quag Keep. Uh, she oh, died while it was being written, so, so she didn't finish it. Oh. Um, I think it came out, I want to say, in 2000, maybe 2008, with Gene uh, Rabe, who had also written some D&D books and, and things of that nature. Um, it is, while Quag Keep is, is fairly highly praised, Return to Quag Keep, not so much, but it it is a kind of a continuation of the story. So it eventually paid off. It just you know, took thirty years. You know, I I said earlier it it, it felt like a, a movie script because it was just so almost meta about it. Uh, the sense of wonder that the character reaches out to touch the miniature and it just really grew to the connection of players to their characters and and it was palpable and that part was really really interesting and when they were you know finally on their journey it was really interesting but i i thought that it would be even more relatable to you know, players throughout the decades, especially in campaign play, not so good for one-offs here. Um, but it would really explain, you know, a lot of the current pop culture. You've got Ready Player One. You've got, uh, oh, shoot, what was the uh, the newer one? 
from Disney, I think. The mm-hmm. guy. Ah, uh, shoot. Um, I'll think about it. I'll think of it later. Um, but where you're put into a game simulation. So many movies have been made about this. That... Yes. Well, this this kicked off that. That I mean, Robert Silverberg has made like a career of, of, of right, like, right. No, 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 not Robert Silverberg. Joel Rosenberg. <laughs> Thank Joel you. Rosenberg. <laughs> Robert Silverberg wrote a different series. Um, well, let, let me ask you this: Quag Keep. Did you like it? Overall, yeah, yeah. I I I thought there were a lot of cool. <clears throat> Uh, aspects about it and I mean honestly reading about the spells and the spell usage really hit me in in happy fun ways because ha it's not always detectable by others you can do it without verbal or somatic components (laughs) so that excited me Uh, some of them felt like I was reading Dying Earth and so I, it really put that in perspective of the contemporary authors borrowing from each other's style all the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. And I mean, and and despite its its being methodical, I certainly did enjoy it as well. I thought there was a lot of really neat touches in there. I like an illusionist who is successful. First of all, I thought that was really cool. Illusion illusion is generally portrayed as as either like overwhelmingly powerful or instantly seen through. And this kind of walked the fine line of it worked until it didn't because they got suspicious and they would essentially work on making a saving throw. And that was really Mm -hmm. cool. I enjoyed that. Um, There was uh, the description when the, uh, the illusionist was in disguise and was talking about moon magic. And just just that whole, you know, the moon grants us other powers and magics was very evocative. And really, I I wanted more. I was very suspicious already. I had already made my saving throw as a reader, but it was it was evocative. It was really neat, and I enjoyed that. Um, it was weird seeing a druid portrayed the way the druid was portrayed. The bad guy. He wasn't a bad guy. He was well, a I, bad I guy. Because from the beginning, Nail was labeled as both a druid and a berserker. And they still often called him a druid as they got into the werebore thing later. Well, they called him more like druidic. He wasn't an, an actual druid druid. Because even no, Nail but- was distrustful of druids because they were easily corrupted the primary character described him as a druid the first few times they they were discussing things and then they drop that the minute this bad druid comes in so that there's less of a confusion well and he was a real druid right he was the i am wearing brown robes and and carry like my my sickle and my mistletoe sort of druid, as opposed to, hi, I wear a boar skull as a helmet, (laughs) turn into a giant pig and kill things with an axe. I'm a druid. No, he was a fighting man. That's what he was, because it was ODD. He was a fighting man. Um, All all I know is that the unknown created fear, and that, that still rings a bit too true today. Yes. Yes, very true. And and Video Cemetery is right that in, in Roman history, druids were really kind of scary. Well, really, even beyond Roman history, druids were kind of scary people. Yeah. Uh, and that is that has been played out in popular culture, right? We, you know, popular cultures had things like you know, the Wicker Man, which kind of draws on, on things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in gaming literature, it's generally very, very different. So when you're looking at something that is that is inspirational to and inspired by D&D, seeing a druid portrayed in such a fashion really stands out. Yeah. You know, pick up pick up any Greyhawk book or or any fantasy novel. Uh, pick up a Shannara book. Even, even those druids who are definitely not mistletoe druids are not vile, sinister 
agents of death. And, and so uh, it really, that really stands out in the, in the literature. As, as does the fact that there were things that the cleric said he could only do once, not once per day, but once only. And that was it. That was a really interesting, uh, it, it made me wonder, did he focus some sort of uh, apparatus into it? You know, was it an object that was a single use only item, that sort of thing? But it was once only could he scry and he was done for the rest of the adventure. Yeah. Uh, All right, and if you look at if you look at you know game mechanics these days, sometimes something's like once a week, once a month. So so that sort of makes sense. Oh, but, good point. Maybe it was one of the canticles. But we could use that. For but music. again, it's it's not something <laughs> it's not something you're used to seeing in gaming literature. But in fantasy literature, that sort of thing would pop up all the time. I will I will summon my power, and I can do this one thing this one time, and. It's it's weird seeing that in something that was inspired by a game where that doesn't happen, right? So that that sort of stands out. But let let's talk about the druid and the illusionist and the uh, <laughs> the, the bad guys, the the Keystone Killers, because oh my god, they were all right, folks. Picture if you will, you have a party of of six and a half we'll go with six and a half because because the lizard man is is generally just baking somewhere and mostly unconscious so you got a party of six and a half adventurers and you're being pursued by it was four i believe there was the druid the illusionist the kind of thief assassin and the salesman uh, the, the well he he was one well versed in in you know the selling of different beasts that were collected. Yes, the, the used horse salesman <laughs> who sold them horses of dubious origin, who the first time they battle him is like, hey, hey, I'm not really a bad guy. You know, it was it was some, like something out of South Park. Hey, buddy, I'm not really your enemy, buddy. I'm just here. Uh, no, just, it was Kugel. Oh, it was yeah, 100% okay, okay, Kugel. I, I, will, <laughs> I, I can see that. Um, there, there was a, a Kugality about him. But uh, okay, we have the upper hand, and we lost it. And, like, every time, and it was, they were just not competent at all until until the very end. They posed no real threat. The biggest threat was travel. You know, even even once they they get to the quagmire, they they find a swamp in the middle of the sea of dust. And that, that that was a huge problem. That was a bigger problem that took more pages to deal with than, than the actual enemy party that was trying to kill them. Uh, well, you remember the lead-up sessions, plural, that led up to our uh, expedition into the Underdark, right? Um, yeah, it's tedious and nobody likes it. And why are we spending so many pages on this? Can we just, like, hand wave this roll some dice for me tell tell me what we're doing and let us go although to be fair the writing of the haggling was rather interesting right well you know these are these are great horses yeah but you know these horses are really kind of bound to one person and i'm not that person is that person going to come looking for them because if they come looking for them they're going to take the horse and they're probably going to kill me but if you still have the horses they're going to kill you so you should sell me the horses for less We'll take them off your hands, and we'll take the onus. Yes. Yeah, um, right. Um, or, or the whole concept of them riding ponies because you only rode war horses into battle. Right. I, I, I really loved that passage because it taught me something I had never known. I had already always played with people who said, "No, I, I'm a warrior. I should have the war horse. I'm going to take that." Well, the war horse is what you walked behind you as you rode a regular pony and you only rode the war horse directly into battle yes well yes you certainly you certainly don't treat a war horse like a draft animal although (laughs) technically some war horses kind of are but uh, you know and certainly if you're just kind of riding through the countryside it's not going to be in full barding and armor either Um, yeah yeah so again that gets back to the travel the travelogue portion (laughs) of the book um, really has its moments when they get to the swamp 
and and finally the lizard man's like oh look there's water i this is my part this is these these next eight pages are why i am in this book and and he just sort of that that walks off into the darkness trust don't forget the sewing distrust between everybody um i i didn't i don't know how i felt about the bard he had a couple of specific songs and i can appreciate you know, the, the pain that it took to play in the freezing cold, but I will give him the one <laughs> feather in his cap that all he had to do was pluck a couple of notes whenever this bickering in the party started. Yes. And Why Mark existed to keep Nail Fangtooth from going nuts and killing uh, golf. Hey, that, that's why he was there, because Nail Fangtooth was just a, 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 a horrible, again, not the guy you want at your table. And and so to avoid inner party conflict. Wow. I actual, didn't come up with that negative of a connotation about actual <laughs> PvP at the table. Why Mark was there, like, you know, before you guys come to blows, let me just play a play a little song to the point where Neil Fangtooth threatens him, you know, eventually, eventually your song's gonna backfire. You know, the whole you know, you, you you make me calm down, but eventually it's not going to work and I'm going to kill you. Not the guy you want at your table. Can I hire Weimark to uh, reset the volume in convention rooms? Because that would be brilliant. <laughs> right. But 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 again, when golf comes into his own for those those like eight pages, it's actually really kind of neat. You know, they're, they're trying to figure out how to cross the swamp and he comes back with these giant leaves because he's, he lives in a swamp and he knows these things. And they're like, well, how is he How is he pushing us along on this, this reed raft? Well, he's not. The lizard folk can summon things to aid them. And so you've got all of these swamp creatures underneath kind of pushing it along. And there, there was some really great imagery there. Uh, I... I he was my favorite character, and he was very underused. Yeah. So I'm reading some of the, the chat in our stream now, and I'm really struck by this comment that uh, one review called it derivative stale rubbish. Oh, that's, that is uh, Return to Quiet Keep. Oh, oh, is it? Yes, that, because Return to Quiet Keep is, is derivative stale rubbish. Uh, they, some of the reviews point out that it suffers <laughs> from not having Andre Norton's hand through the entire way, that the, oh. the pacing is off. Okay. Uh, let's just let's just say that well, well, uh, Jean Rabe is an author in her own right. She is not referred to as the grand dam of science fiction and fantasy, and there's a reason for that. So what should Joan read next after this? Not Return to Quag Keep would be uh, <laughs> where I'll start. Um, you know, uh, honestly, I would say that this book is a good first to be read. You know, if you're looking for the first book of Andre Norton to read, if you're looking at Andre Norton because you're looking at Appendix N, then yes, this is the book that, would be definitive. Well, uh, I mean, but there's this book is what, is not on appendix. Choices? You know, it this is, you know this book isn't on appendix N until five e five e specifically does mention Quag Keep, really, and, and Witch World. Um, Witch wow. World was her big series. That's probably what she's best known for. So if you're looking for something after Quag Keep, that's a possibility. Or uh, Daybreak twenty two fifty, right? The the very f it has the famed cover that has inspired Command D. Um, <laughs> it's uh, that although that's more of a post apocalyptic piece. Um, Andre Norton was not afraid to to really kind of double down on matters of gender in most of her books, and uh, like in in Witch World, uh, men. Mm, uh, yeah, so after Quiet Keep, Andre Norton, read the original Witch World. That would be my advice. Uh, it's it's an older book, so it's uh, linguistically going to be different. Um, the pacing is going to be a bit different, but it is Andre Norton, so the ending will be pretty much 
the same. Um, it will uh, it will uh, end when it ends, and uh, not a moment <laughs> after. I, I kind of want to go back to one of our prior ep- well one of our episodes of Sanctum Secorum because we did uh, sword m- or steel magic, right? Was it steel magic by Andre Norton? Um, I don't remember if it ended so suddenly. Maybe it was sword magic. Yeah, Andre Norton is kind of known for that. Uh, Andre Norton will, will take an entire book, and when it's time to wrap up the book, give it eight to ten pages, and you're just, you know, finale, done, out. Um, doesn't kind of, doesn't mess around, doesn't doesn't go for long, you know, uh, afterwards and, and things of that nature. No, no. Uh, Andre Norton is done telling a story. She doesn't care if you're not done reading the story. She's done telling it. Uh, Episode 19. Uh, And to, excuse me, to clarify from my earlier uh, brain fart, it was uh, Free Guy from Disney that just recently. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. Um, So I'm going to reiterate my question for the viewers now. We all know this title. We have, we all had this vague impression, but how many of you guys have actually read this? How many of our friends have, have dived into this or remember it? (laughs) That's a good question. I know, I know at least one person in the chat has, has read it. Um, I see Dennis started it. It looks like Joan started it. Um, I, I see a lot of sheepish. I, you know, I haven't read it, um, and that's okay, right? Andre Norton again. Andre Norton wrote three hundred books over the course of seventy years, so you're allowed to have not read one of her books. It's okay. And hey, I hadn't read it either, so I learned new stuff. She was hardcore when she died. She didn't want a funeral. She just wanted to be cremated with a copy of her first and last novels. Wow. Right. Talk about defining who you really are. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she was she was a bookseller. She was a librarian. She was an editor, and then she spent essentially seventy years as a as a professional writer. And for seventy years, talking like four generations of of readers over her lifetime. And she inspired a lot of other people with her work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can tell, again, by the number of DAW spines that I see with other women's names on them. I, I think that's fantastic. And I think it's kind of telling that there's only three on Appendix N. You know, and speaking, speaking of DAW, let's, let's talk real quick about the the forward to Quag Keep, the, the author's the author's thanks, which reads, the author wishes to express appreciation for the invaluable aid of E. Gary Gygax of TSR, expert player and creator of the war game Dungeons and Dragons, on which the background of Quag Keep is based. I wish also to acknowledge the kind assistance of Donald Walheim an authority and collector of fantasy miniatures whose special interest was so valuable for my interest. For my for my research, Donald Walheim was the founder of Daw Books, who published the paperback of of Quag Keep after it was released, um, and is considered one of the most influential editors in all of science fiction and fantasy. So with Del Rey, right? Yes. So I mean, you wow. don't stop to think about how intermingled a lot of the Appendix N authors were. Um, she was uh, Andre Norton was a member of an organization with with uh, Lynn Carter, right? The Swordsmen and Sorcerers Guild of America, which was run by Lynn Carter. We've seen you know, if you look out there, there's books signed by an Appendix N author to another Appendix N author. They were all of those all of those contemporaries, while they weren't necessarily close personal friends, kind of interwove quite a bit. And, they traveled in the same circles. Yes, especially especially the people that came out of the pulps together. Yeah, you know, I mean, a lot say, is a lot is made the of Ellison's the Lovecraft and... circle, but Lovecraft circle was not unique in any way, shape, or form. 
No, no. And, and bouncing back to my preamble, but Lovecraft actually called uh, Gertrude Barrows Bennett and her dark fantasy creations spectacular. So the fact that Lovecraft was praising the work of a woman, I was yeah, like, yeah. Really the, that Lovecraft said anything nice about a woman is uh... <laughs> I was impressed. <laughs> I'll just yeah. leave it at that. Um, but I mean, there is, there's just there's there's so many there's so many neat little things in this. There's you know, there's there's other monsters that that have never been seen before or since in D D. The the uh, the Urgaunts, which were some sort of non demonic reptile things with long necks that uh, that were summoned, and uh, and there was the Gar Eagles with thirty foot wingspans, the the second largest flying creatures in in Greyhawk after dragons. Uh, it was just. Oh, that was another great thing. The illusion put forth by the dragon himself, or itself, nobody really said. Um, <clears throat> but the uh, liches? Yeah, that, that's what they called them. She, uh, she referred to them yeah, as liches. Yeah, it was really confusing. It was L-I-C-H-I-S for the name of the dragon. But then the lich that they were fighting, the undead, were L-I-C-H-E. Uh, that was kind of yeah. confusing to me. Uh because words um but the place that liches had concealed himself and just made the entire place look like an an unwelcoming uh what post molten lava well and then the and then once no everything is revealed the ponies no good place for anything and but, and but once the glamour is gone the description of the of the glittering gemstones laid out in patterns and the soft bed of gold coins it was a great description of a dragon's horde which wasn't just it's swimming in gold y'all it's rich it's jeff bezos <laughs> um who is, by the way, uh, according to Forbes magazine, wealthier than Smaug from, uh, from Lord of the Rings. But um, you can stop anytime. <laughs> but but the the description was really neat. It was it was colorful. It was interesting, and and that stood out. And I think that's part of what I like about Andre Norton's writing is there's details that stand out. You know, the sunken ship that had the sealed, you know jugs of the the magical wine and everything that goes into that uh, just her details are wonderful uh pa paxson has a great uh side comment there a different editor may have suggested stronger differentiation between those names yeah but you know she at that point she'd been writing for 40 years so I don't know what sort of editor really would have the nerve at that point, right? I mean, you've been doing this for 40 years. You're already a grandmaster. Uh, maybe I'm just going to stick quiet. Yeah. This was after. Vance used the same names for places in the same series. He would vacillate between the names he used for a certain place, or he'd reuse the same name for different places over and over and over throughout different series to a point of confusion. Well, and, and, and I mean, from an editor's standpoint, <laughs> I mean, certainly she she didn't win the World Fantasy Award uh, Lifetime Achievement until 1998, but that was her third nomination. Why Keep, I'm pretty sure, is after her first nomination. So, I mean, she was... All I'm saying is there were two years between the inception and the publication. Yeah, I mean, I in in the person. industry, in the industry, if I if if I wasn't, I don't know, say you know, the founder of Daw Books, um, I'd be kind of. I, I think I would have been a little intimidated trying to edit the the uh, the, the grandmaster with a lifetime of experience who has also been an editor. I guess we're just a little more cutthroat in the uh, the gaming industry, right? <laughs> so, but oh, but overall, it's, now who was your favorite character? You know who mine was, right? We we I've talked I have talked Lizard Man to death, almost literally, because he tried out. And I, um, I I had an empathy for that character. Uh, 
really the the bard was the only one I didn't have any sort of attachment to. Because even though the the werebore, as we keep calling him, uh, had his flaws, he's one big one. He he still kind of felt like the the fawford of the operation. Um, were were the Jean to his to the Loch Lamora, you know. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it's hard not to say that the main character was my favorite just because that was the one we got to know the best. Uh, but even the elf had a lot of cool qualities. We didn't get to see him much because he was always scouting up ahead. Uh, just yeah. like we didn't see much of the lizard man because he was unconscious. Uh, you know, there's there's the battle maiden, of course. That That's going to you know, you've got to put the token female in the group so that you have. Well, no, I think I think for Audrey Norton it was less of a token, but, but yeah. But was it? I, I mean, it was the only female character in the entire book. No, the illusionist was a woman as well. Oh, that's true. The witch. Yes. When when the veil completely dropped, it was a witch. So there were two women in the entire book. I I stand by my original statement that there was really only one because the witch was just described as vile and not really a she. Uh, and uh. It was, <laughs> well, no, because in, in some parts, they definitely, before being fully revealed, was, was definitely a, a woman. Um, but again, was one of the Keystone uh, killers, so not really an effective woman. There was one effective woman in this book. Um, but, you oh, know, man. it's considering the, the the period and the genre that is one more than most books had i i mean i don't want to say that that doesn't make it any better but it kind of for that reason it doesn't stand out to me <clears throat> i i don't want to jump on the oh the battle maid was my favorite because it was the chick no i i actually liked the main character because of his struggle with morality well, I mean, if if, if the, the moral the issues wasn't such a bore, his background, right? When he, he started going off, you know, when when they were having that struggle, that identity crisis between the players and the characters, and he as the characters rattling off, you know, I was here for this battle, and I did this. That was that was really fascinating stuff. Again, it's the sort of thing that that player would corner you with at a you know at a at a table where you're too polite to say anything and get away. Uh, but we've all been there. We've all been there. But but the characters all had their own levels of depth. Um, some were kind of shallow, like the bard who we got no real background on, and others were were definitely you know kind of fully fleshed out. And then then Milo. Is is also our our real world anchor. He's the one that keeps remembering. He he's the one that keeps having flashes to the room and the table and the pieces of paper. That uh, and he yeah. seems to be the one person who can call Nile down. He, he can remind him of you know this is the mission. This is the moral choice we should make. Uh, well, yeah, but it, but Yvel did that really well too. She was the one that essentially said you know sit up. You know, sit down and shut up. You know, there's seven of us with these bracelets. We know we're bound together. Uh, we all have a purpose. And of Nobody course, she said, well, maybe his her. purpose is to betray us. And she's like, shut up. And well, I liked her forthright response. Well, that, that's true. But, you know, he was the character that wouldn't listen to her anyway. Um, just as a quick bit of bookkeeping before I say my last thing. Uh, Video Cemetery has asked if there's a little more advanced warning I should be able to read the next episode's book whatever it may be I well, let's say, figure that out right now stay tuned to sanctum.media and we can announce that ahead of time before the Goodman Games Blast oh come on we can just figure it out right now um I mean I, I there are so many choices I, I, I'm torn because you know I want to dive more into the early works of Margaret St. Clair. I really want to dive into the non-diploma, the Idris Seabright writings. But okay. they're, they're little pulpy bits, and so they're spread out, and you can't always get your paws on them. And 
I don't know if maybe Lee Brackett would be a better choice just for that reason, because most of what she's on Appendix N for is more readily accessible. I don't know. Let's let's do we we will announce we will announce a title later because it'll it'll take a little bit of looking. But I like the idea of doing of doing something by Idris Seabright. Uh, because I mean that, that's a non, be a, non-diplomat most people don't even know. I I would also be okay with just doing an, an overarching thing if if you guys want to grab pieces uh, from uh, Seabright slash St. Clair and contribute to the uh, conversation with the pieces that you read and, and some of the points we can kind of compare between each other if the same overarching themes appear shall we say yeah, yeah. and and video cemetery i'm with you um i yeah having read the, the carnelian cube i can pretty much handle anything put in front of me because i'm a survivor the uh, stress of her regard oh okay well that's just me <laughs> That's that's just me. That's not even on appendix end. That's just mean. In in five words, deflate your significant other. Uh, <laughs> but but so so Sorry. we will we'll do something by by uh, Saint Clair slash Seabright, and uh, we'll we'll get that to to figure. We'll we'll get that figured out. I mean, we could we could cover you know, one of the two very well known books. Yeah, Shadow People is it's been is forever since we read that one. That was the that was episode one of Sanctum Secorum. So. That's why I said it's been forever. <laughs> yeah, so you know, it might not be bad to do a, a refresher on that one anyway. And you know, we've got these bracelets we keep talking about that had dice on them. I'm just saying, people, with all of the LED dice that are out there that you can program with your phone and all that, where are my LED dice wearables? I want the bracelet that shows the die as it's rolling. I want to see the little animation of it. And then here, I rolled a 20 and I can show you. Gib. Gib. (laughs) Challenge. I admit, I admit, I thought the bracelet concepts were really cool, except for there were two things that weirded me out. One, it was a D3, a D4, a D6, and a D8, right? There wasn't a D12 or a D20. There were five dice though total. One was four on dice. The table. Four dice. Three, three, four, there six. Were five eight. dice on the table. Oh, five dice on the table. Milo, yeah. the Milo had grabbed four. the control die. Yeah, bracelets only had four, and and also as described, they don't work because they could only spin. Right, they can't really roll the way they were described. But I bet someone could figure that out. So well, someone could the break the laws of either physics or geometry. If someone could break mathematics for us and and create that, that'd be great. And if you read the book, it it describes how the numbers lit up and they were gemstones too. Yeah, yeah, make it pretty, make it cool. So so my wife is asking for for a a bracelet with jewel encrusted dice. Um, But you know, video LED gems that that's cool too. Trying to make it cheaper. Yeah, I'm sure you are. So I think I think that, that pretty that's much, me in a nutshell, right? Uh, I, I think that pretty much covers and... Quag Keep um, <laughs> without without giving away the the ending, which is all of like three pages. Uh, really, the ending is is like all of three pages. But uh, overall, I found I found the book enjoyable. I think that it's a very important piece of appendix and literature since it is the first self-referential piece, right, of, of, of Appendix M. It is, it is the first book that references D&D on a list. Uh, the author of whom is, is on a list of people that helped inspire D&D to begin with. So I think that's, that's really neat. Yes, the concepts in it weren't necessarily influential to the game, but to gaming as a whole, this is this book is a is kind of a big deal, I think. And it really was a throwback to what you guys would know as the the BX. I, I mean, after playing a little bit of that, the the archetypes were were dead on, and I look forward to seeing some 
incarnations of those characters in some DCC stuff later, especially from our third party people. Yes, and we we will avoid seeing um, versions of those characters in Return to Quag Keep because <laughs> we've read the reviews. No, no. <laughs> so, so I I, I do that. I think that will uh, that will cover us for. Uh, I think we're past our you. mark. We should probably head out. <laughs> yeah, but thank you everyone for uh, for joining us over in the in the chat. It is uh, it's nice to see some familiar faces and some new faces. And uh, I guess I, I guess we're doing uh, Sinclair slash Idris Seabright, quite possible, quite possibly uh, Shadow People because uh, Gronk Healy Man really wanted to read that soon. So, well, that would work. Who am I to say no to Gronk Healy Man? That's going to fall on uh, February fifteenth. February fifteenth. Ooh, the day after Valentine's Day. So, How anyone perfect. in the doghouse can come visit us. We're cool with that. We might have more people on with us next time. Who knows? This has been kind of fun. Yeah. And with that, we will go ahead and sign off. So have a wonderful evening. Thank you guys for showing up. And we will chat with you shortly. And Bob, it's your line. Well, the the, uh, the show, of course, will be available for replay on Twitch and YouTube. The audio will come through Sanctum. And until we meet again, be inspired. Sanctum Sequorum Reading Room has been a production of Sanctum Media.